Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, December 6th. Today marks the 33rd anniversary of the Montreal Massacre, the day a gunman targeted and killed 14 women and injured 14 more at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal. We talk with Suzanne Duncan, Vice President of Philanthropy at the Canadian Women's Foundation, to talk about whether we're doing enough to end gender-based violence in Canada. Another barrage of deadly missile strikes in Ukraine further damaging that country's power grid. Joining us to talk about the latest on the war in Eastern Europe is Marcus Kolga, founder of disinfowatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonnell Laurier Institute Centre for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Calgary increasing the number of warming shelters available to the city's most vulnerable. But are we doing enough to protect our homeless population with winter weather upon us? Patricia Jones is a president of the Calgary Homeless Foundation and joined us to talk about what more can be done. And Global's Morning of Giving looks a little different this year, but you can donate at the drive through drop-off donation zone. We'll break it down with the event creator and traffic guru from Global, Leslie Horton. Today marks the 33rd anniversary of the Montreal Massacre, where gunmen targeted and killed 14 women at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal. Are we doing enough to end gender-based violence in Canada? Joining us to talk about it is Suzanne Duncan, Vice President of Philanthropy at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Hi, Suzanne. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. A, a sad topic, but one we need to talk about. We need to continue to, this discussion. What do you think, in your view, what is the lasting impact of the Montreal massacre? That's a great question. And as you said, on this day 33 years ago, 14 young women were murdered at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal, and another 14 were injured. Um, this is an anti-feminist massacre, and it was the largest mass shooting in Canada at the time. And I want to just note that the only um, the only larger um, shooting was in 2020 in Nova Scotia, which was also perpetuated by a gunman known for domestic violence. Um, so I think that today it's important to mark that history, but it's also a day where we really need to focus on what we need to do as a country to really end gender-based violence and really center survivors and ensure that we have a safe country for everyone. Let's go back a little bit before we can go forward. What has been done over the past 33 years since the Montreal massacre to really address and, and try to get to the point where we can prevent gender-based violence in our country? Well, there's been quite a few things that have happened, but I'll say that progress has been slow. Um, Gender-based violence is one of the most stigmatized and difficult to talk about things that we have um, as a culture. And it's really important that we um, bring it out of the shadows and help support people who live through gender-based violence. Um, We now understand how common gender violence is. 44% of women experience some form of intimate partner violence in their lifetime, um, intimate partner abuse. And we know that marginalized women like Indigenous women and women with disabilities are at elevated risk. Now, the good news is in November, just just a few months ago, uh, just last month, um, the federal government announced a long-awaited national action plan to end gender-based violence, and provinces and territories have signed on. This is a really positive step, but it's taken a really long time. And there's some people who are worried that it's not far-reaching enough and doesn't have the same kind of accountability measures we would need. And this is why we need to keep talking about it because tragedies continue to persist. I mentioned the shooting in Nova Scotia. Um, last week, Winnipeg's poli- Winnipeg Police's News 
of uh, the rest of the man who was accused of killing four indigenous women it's devastating and it's unacceptable and we need to stand up as a country and say enough is enough we need this national action plan we need the culture change we need to make changes today we call it gender-based violence are we talking i mean obviously specifically this is violence against women perpetrated by men in these cases correct in a lot of these cases absolutely but we want to be really aware that um a lot of the the gender-based violence the internet partner violence um these are things that happen to folks who are really at risk that's women that's in particular indigenous women that's in particular marginalized women that's also um, people who are gender diverse it's really important to really think about that power dynamic and the ways that the system um can really let those things slide you know we've heard lots and lots of stories of folks who have experienced gender-based violence for a long time and have really had challenges holding their partner accountable. Power dynamic, I think that's the key term in in this discussion, Mm -hmm. right? So, okay, let's move forward then. What more do we need to do to protect Canadian women? I think all of us need to speak about the National Action Plan and how important it is for our provinces to really take those concrete steps that that are there. But there's stuff that we can do personally. We need to each individual can help create culture change. We can all support survivors in our life with care and non-judgment. Here at the Canadian Women's Foundation, we've launched a Signal for Help responder campaign. Um, we have 40,000 people who've signed up to really learn more about how they can support survivors differently and really be that culture change that brings violence out of the shadows and into a place of support. So if folks are interested in what they can do personally, they can go to signalresponder.ca to learn how they can be part of the solution. Signalresponder.ca. Got it. Absolutely. I'm writing it down right now. Got it. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Appreciate Thank your time you. this morning. Important that we continue to talk about the tragedy that happened in Canada so that it never happens again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Suzanne Duncan, Vice President of Philanthropy at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Ukrainian President Zelensky says Ukraine's power grid needs to be stabilized after another barrage of deadly missile strikes. Joining us to talk about the latest in the war in Eastern Europe is Marcus Kolga, founder of DisinfoWatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute's Centre for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Good morning to you, Marcus. Thanks for being back with us. Thanks for having me on, Sue. Appreciate it. So, you know, does, has anything changed and are we expecting anything to change at this point? Well, no, I mean, it's it's all pretty much status quo. Um, Vladimir Putin is ordering this uh, these barrages of missiles to take out Ukrainian infrastructure and what's amounting to be a, a war of terror against the Ukrainian uh, people. You know, I was just going over reviewing the Geneva Conventions uh, this morning and, um, you know, all of the definitions for war crimes um, Vladimir Putin checks off uh, and has been doing so repeatedly over and over again uh, over the past 10 months of, of his brutal invasion uh, in Ukraine. So, you know, I suspect that the uh, Russian uh, government will continue trying to terrorize the Ukrainian people. It's, uh, given that winter is setting in right now, I was just in in the region uh, up until last night. And I can tell you the temperatures are getting very, very cold in Central and Eastern Europe. And these missile attacks are intended to ensure that uh, Ukrainians can not heat their homes, uh, that they don't have access to clean water. And um, every time Vladimir Putin launches these massive missile attacks, it brings uh, Ukraine itself closer to 
uh, freezing and um, and breaking down that infrastructure and threatening uh, millions and millions of Ukrainian lives. So, uh, you know, he'll continue doing this until um, he hopes uh, President Zelensky will will come to the table. He's hoping Vladimir Putin is hoping to crush the will of the Ukrainian people. But uh, so far, they have been resilient against these attacks and are continuing to, to repel them. Uh, and uh, then they continue to stand up against this uh, brutal aggression uh, from uh, from uh, Russia. Marcus, with you there, you can maybe help us understand, paint a bit of a picture for us. I mean, we're, you know, a world away, really. And we see and yeah. we read and we, we hear what's going on. How cold is it for the people there? And what is it like for the people living in Ukraine right now? What is it like on the streets and in their homes? It is so difficult right now to be living inside of Ukraine. Um, there are uh, scheduled uh, power outages to save energy. Um, so homes, even in the capital in Kiev, uh, in the West, um, people are only allowed to have electricity for a few hours every day. So at that point, you know, they're, they're huddling around heaters, uh, trying to keep themselves warm. Um, water is becoming more and more scarce. Um, the water that is running out of taps in a lot of cities uh, around Ukraine is, uh, is, has not been cleaned. It's, it's rather dirty. Um, you know, it can still be used for washing, but... Um, you know, if, if you're living in some place, especially in eastern Ukraine, southern Ukraine, even Kiev, um, you know, you're not taking warm showers anymore. Uh, you're using those few hours that you have of, of warm water uh, to take a cold bath, to, you know, splash some water on yourself. Um, so the, the situation is becoming more and more dire, um, especially with, you know, families with small kids. Um, you know, thousands of schools, literally schools, have been... Um, targeted by Russian missiles. They've been destroyed. So, you know, life right now in, in, in Ukraine is very difficult. Um, you know, the children are not able to leave normal lives. Families are no longer able to leave normal lives. And there have been suggestions by the Ukrainian government that people living in larger cities uh, should try to get out to the uh, outskirts, out into the... Um, into rural areas, uh, you know, where they might be a bit safer. They're, they might have, um, you know, be able to heat their homes with wood and such, uh, because I think the forecast is for a an extremely difficult winter. And as I said earlier, um, Vladimir Putin knows this, and he's trying to make life as difficult uh, for Ukrainians as possible and to cause as much damage, to inflict as much pain on on those people in what's amounting to be, uh, as I said earlier, uh, significant war crimes and, you know, potentially a genocide against the Ukrainian people. So life in, in Ukraine right now is very, very, very difficult. And you asked about temperatures. I mean, um, I know it's cold in Calgary right now, and, and I think these are the sorts of temperatures that we're going to be seeing across Ukraine. So I would, you know, for your listeners, I mean, imagine not having running water, not having electricity, not having heat in the sort of temperatures that you're experiencing right now. You know, this is what Ukrainians face in the coming, two, you know, three, four months ahead, at least until uh, March, April. So, I mean, Marcus, what are we looking at? How does this end? You say war crimes, you know, targeting infrastructure. Yeah. That's just cruel. And, you know, Western countries are doing what they can to send military yeah. might, et cetera, but no countries are going in. So how how do how does Ukraine and the Ukrainian people and the president Zelensky stop this or, or does, you know, Russia just keep the bombardment going? 
they're going to keep the bombardment going. But let's not forget, Ukraine, um, the resilience of the Ukrainian people, of their armed forces, of their government has been super human over the past 10 months. No one predicted that they would hold out this long. And the fact is, is that over the, the last few months, they've actually pushed back Russia's forces. Um, Russia's forces themselves are completely demoralized. Um, the corruption in Russia that's, that's taken hold and has been endemic for the past uh, 22 years while Vladimir Putin, 23 now, while Vladimir Putin has been in power, has ensured that those troops that are on the front line, they don't have proper winter equipment. Uh, 1.5 million uniforms went missing the other month. Um, and so, you know, Russia's not doing all that well itself. But if we continue to support the Ukrainian government, to support Ukrainian forces in their fight here to defend their homeland and to take it back, um, you know, the hope that we, you know, the way that this could end, and we hope that it'll end, is of course there's going to be some sort of negotiation at, at the end of it. But to ensure that, that Ukraine can do this on their own terms, that they can take back their borders, secure their borders, uh, and um, and make sure that the, this sort of uh, aggression doesn't happen again in the near in the in the future. So that means, you know, a uh, membership in EU potentially NATO as well. But that will mean that we need to continue spending those weapons that have been proven so effective in in defending Ukraine. And and so we need to keep doing that um, and um, ensuring that uh, Ukraine has the tools it needs to defend itself and and uh, take back all of its borders, that's the way that Ukraine win. Only through that sort of victory and the defeat of Russia in its, in its invasion of Ukraine. That's how, uh, you know, that's what victory at the end of the day will look like. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Marcus. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, too. Thank you. Marcus Kolga, founder of disinfowatch.org. He's a senior fellow at the McNaughton Laurier Institute Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Again, you can go to the website, disinfowatch.org. City of Calgary increasing the number of warming shelters available to our city's most vulnerable. But are we doing enough with winter upon us? Joining us to talk about it is Patricia Jones, a resident of the Calgary Homeless Foundation and advocate for the homeless. Good morning to you, Patricia. Thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Appreciate your time. When we talk about a warming shelter, what exactly does that look like for those who, who don't know? Yeah, a warming center uh, changes wherever you are, but basically we're working with our partner organizations such as the Alex and the Mustard Seed and the Women's Center to really expand the services they already offer. So often they're bricks and mortar. Folks, you can go in, there's a room and uh, there's coffee and snacks and folks who are trained in our field to serve people who have had trauma so we can support them to access other services because the warming center is really a gateway to other services where that whether that be mental health addiction and other services as the president of the calgary homeless foundation you and your team you're on the front lines you see it all how many warming shelters or you know that sort of thing have we had in the past and and how are the numbers increasing now as we move into these really cold winter months yeah, you know, we've had 135 up until now, and that doesn't include places like Calgary Public Libraries and other places that uh, folks will go to. And I just want to remind you, shelters will never turn anyone away, no matter how cold it is. And as of December 1st, working in partnership with our partner agencies and the City of Calgary, we've been able to expand to 200 spaces and really broaden our geographical reach throughout Calgary. So there's spaces you know, with our partnership with Journey Church in Northwest Calgary, there's Women's Center in Northeast, there's 
There's the Mustard Seed downtown. There's the Alex in Southeast Calgary. And that's just a few of the warming centers. And I know, you know, these organizations, you guys all work together to try and make sure that our most vulnerable are safe off the street wherever possible and stay warm. What are some of the the challenges in terms of of even being able to to unite and, and, and try to fight this problem? Are there still a lot of folks who just are not interested in coming in off the street? You know, that's an interesting question. I think what we can do is offer as many pathways as possible for folks to get services they need. And then, you know, we do, do live in a world where we, we respect that people have individual choice. Um, so, I mean, folks who are homeless, their, their situation changes from someone who just lost their job last week to somebody who has had decades of trauma in their lives. So we try and customize our approach to everybody we meet and see and support them to realize their recovery in their life. Patricia, do we have numbers right now that kind of talk about how many folks in our city are experiencing homelessness? You know, we have a list that we keep at Calgary Homeless that um, we triage um, with all the 25 agencies. What we do know is there's about 1,800 folks on a waiting list for housing right now. We do have an affordable housing challenge in Calgary and actually throughout Canada. Um, And we're working with folks to ensure that they have what they need or transitional housing or working with the shelters to ensure people have housing. I know you and your organization and all the others in the city doing their very best. What could we as Calgarians do to help during this time? And and, you know, is it, is it about donating money and, and, and items or, or what's the best way we can help out? You know, the immediate um, the immediate need, of course, is, is items. Um, any of the partner agencies, there's so many in Calgary that we work with. And if you look on our website, you'll see all the warming centers, but there's so many agencies. If you have money to give, um, many of the organizations are fundraising just to keep their lights on. Um, if you want to donate basic essentials, we have a campaign called uh, Donate YYC Essentials. You can go on our website or you can donate uh, directly um, clothing to Alpha House, Drop-In Center, um, the uh, winds. There's so many organizations in Calgary. So if there's an opportunity to give, that'd be great. If you see somebody on the street who is looks like they're cold, um, you know, let them know that there are centers out there. And honestly, just in terms of humanity, looking people in the eye at this time of year, particularly with a smile um, and kindness, would go a long way. I don't necessarily have money with me most of the time, but I keep in my car. I buy those boxes of the hand and foot warmers. Oh, good for you. And, you know, and, and that's kind of what I hand out to people because I figure, you know, if nothing else, that's going to give a little bit of reprieve, even just, you know, for an hour or so and help out. So is it simple things like that we can do as well just to give people a little bit of dignity at this time? Oh, what a beautiful statement um, and what a brilliant idea because hand warmers are amazing. Yeah, I think offering just that gesture of kindness goes a long way just in terms of our community. Well, we'll send people to the website. Is it calgaryhomeless.com? Best place to go for more information? It absolutely is, Sue. Thank you. Thanks, Patricia. Appreciate your time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Patricia Jones, president of the Calgary Homeless Foundation. Again, calgaryhomeless.com. It's back. Global Calgary welcoming its fifth morning of giving. Boy, it's coming up real quick in support of the magic of Christmas. To tell us all about it is the brains behind the operation, the one and only from Global Calgary, Global News traffic reporter, Leslie Horton. Hi, Les. It is here, Sue. Uh, tomorrow morning of giving this is the first time in, since COVID that we have been able to do this in person mm-hmm. so super excited to say that we will be having a drive-through drop-off 
donation zone in our global parking lot from 6 to 9 a.m. on Wednesday, December 7th. Drive in, drop off your new unwrapped donation. We'll also take your money, of course, too. And then we will, at the end of the day, be passing all of that along to the fantastic charity, The Magic of Christmas. This is awesome. I know you kind of came up with the idea. Not kind of. You did come up with the idea a few years back. This has just been, it's grown, hasn't it, over the years? And people really kind of getting on board with this. And I love the drive-through idea. Still keeps people safe, but it allows us to kind of see each other face-to-face again, right? Well, and that is exactly why we're doing it this way, Sue. We didn't feel like this was the year to have a big party. We thought that this was a good year to have some in person, but to have those vehicles driving in um, on your way to work, you can stop at our global studios, 222 23rd Street Northeast, drive in, drop off, and then away you go on on your way uh, to work or wherever you need to go. And you're right. People have been very, very supportive of this event over the past few years since we launched it. I'm always surprised when people come uh, to my event, Sue. I always think I'm going to be standing out in the parking lot lonely. No way. Not in Calgary. Not in Calgary. You're absolutely right. Okay, so Magic of Christmas, we go in, we we just drive through Global Studios again, 222 23rd Street Northeast. We throw the gift out the window. You grab it, put it in Santa's sack. Who gets these presents? So the Magic of Christmas works with hundreds of families around the city. So usually by this time of the year, they've got about 400 or 500 families that have called to say, hey, can we get on the list? Sue, already this year, they're at over 800 families. Wow. So the need this year, so many people are really having trouble, right? So these are folks that if they didn't have the Magic of Christmas... Showing up on December 24th with presents, with gift cards, with food hampers, they probably wouldn't be able to celebrate Christmas. So it's a completely volunteer-run organization. They work in conjunction with Calgary Transit. So there's dozens of Calgary Transit buses. There's dozens of volunteers heading out on December 24th. They spend the whole day going from house to house to house. They go to seniors' homes. They do hospital visits. So they really do need gifts for every single age. And gift cards are a great option because some age groups are hard to buy for. Mm -hmm. What are you buying the 13-year-old boy? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Could a mom use a Walmart, a Superstore gift card? Yeah, Yeah, you bet. Yeah, right? Right? With the cost of everything these days. So these are families that really need our help. And uh, sadly, but not surprisingly, there's more of them than ever this year. Okay, so let's break it down. It's Global Calgary's Morning of Giving. This Wednesday, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., new unwrapped gift, cash, gift cards. They just drop it by the Global Studios. That's all they have to do. That's all they have to do. Come on in to the Global Parking Lot. We've got a, a little loop set up. You'll see me. We will take those gifts off your hands. We will put them in, in the transit bus. We're hoping to fill that bus and head out on December 24th to a lot of kids and families and seniors that really need some Christmas cheer this year. The magic of org is the website. Thanks, Les. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sue. You're awesome. Leslie Horton, Global News Traffic Reporter.